Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, you can open your Bibles to Habakkuk. We're in our second installment of the three installments from this book, if you're wondering where Habakkuk is, and many of you probably are. It's in the Old Testament. And if you did not bring a Bible, it's cool. We kind of planned ahead. We knew you wouldn't. So we put some Bibles underneath the chairs, kind of sporadically um, in the room. And if you don't know where Habakkuk is, hit the table of contents, man. It's cool. It's all right. No stress. So we are in Habakkuk and I've kind of called this series the, the Book of Questions because really the, it, it's a very unique writing style, this book of the Bible and the Old Testament. It's very unique that Habakkuk, we're just kind of let in on in exactly what's going on in Habakkuk's mind as he's just asking these questions of God and he's pouring his heart out to God and he's asking some of the, the most gut-wrenching of questions. And yet, in, in our day, we have some questions to ask of God as well, don't we, church? And yet we ask questions and, and we wrestle with things and life is complicated and, and, and what we see in our culture is, is complicated and, and what do we do? God, where are you? And Habakkuk is in a very similar situation with, with his people. He's a prophet um, to the southern region of Judah. Um, if you're an Old Testament kind of person, you know what that means. If not, just let it blow on by. That's cool. And Habakkuk is, is kind of like God's spokesperson um, to a group of people. So as he's kind of pouring his heart out to God, he's responding that he, he loves his people, that he's in, in care of, and yet he's asking God these radical questions. And, and he, last week we kind of found out that he's asking questions of God and then God responds and he says, yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of everything. I'm actually going to send your greatest enemy and they're actually going to take you over. And then Habakkuk is like, there's got to be a different way. And there's not a different way. And really, this, this message is kind of along the same lines. This whole book, all three chapters of Habakkuk are really the same way. Now, I had said that I probably should have called this the book of tensions because there's going to be tensions that kind of stir up in us. We're going to have questions that are going to be unanswered through this chapter, or rather through these, these chapters we kind of dig through. But my intent is not to answer all of your questions. My intent is for you to, to be able to do a few things. And I told you last week, one of which is what? Stand firm. What's the next one? Have faith because victory awaits. That's what we're supposed to do. That's kind of the, the big idea to Habakkuk. If you like have lunch plans, you can leave now and you got it. We're good. Just sing some more songs. Not really. But uh, that's kind of what this whole book is about. And you're going to wrestle with things. And there's going to be tension. And, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably are going to have all kinds of questions through this as I've kind of put some things out there because I recognize that not everybody uh, is a Christian. There's some people starting to seek the faith and trying to figure out where they are with Jesus and the Bible and the Christianity and all these things. And we welcome you. But in times like this, in settings like this, um, we, we like to dig into the Word of God because Christians believe that that is where the hope is found in Jesus and His truth has been revealed through His Word. Right, Christians? Amen. And yet, the tension that, that, that we live in is, is in a day and age where we, we sit back and we say, okay, we're, 
We live in the space between. If you're a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You live in the space between. Okay, we have the hope of glory being with Jesus, and yet we live on earth, and we, we want to be with Jesus, and yet we sit and look at our world, and, and, and we, we live with this tension, and we wrestle with things, and, and many Christians actually think that the, that the world is on a slippery slope downhill. And, and, and many Christians don't know what that leads to. I'm sure it isn't a pot of gold, right? And many Christians, we kind of scratch our head and we ask this question, God, what are you doing? Where are you in this? We, we look at things and kind of Christians there, again, this is, the kind of, this, is how we, uh, we, this is how we absorb things that are going on. We look at our culture and we look at, say, uh, the Ten Commandments that really have been like the, the moral code, if you will, for the writing of this country. And now there's, the, there's this fade in, in, really, in the political structure and the judicial system of a country. And, and Christians think that that is just kind of fading away. Uh, many of you probably agree with that. And yet, it's built on the Ten Commandments, and that's fading away. Several years ago, and, and I realize that doesn't necessarily fit with this culture, but it used to be just very common that, that children would pray in school. They would start their day, right? Who, who did that growing up? Like you start your day with prayer, you know? And in, in the South, maybe you could do some of that, but you certainly can't do it um, in most of the country. And yet we see this removal of prayer in schools. And then on the other side of that, then we see horrendous crimes happen in schools. And Christians believe... Many Christians, not all, many Christians believe that those two dots are connected, right? And then we sit back and think, well, if the country was, was kind of put together with God's moral law, right, and the Ten Commandments all put together, and we push those out of the equation, and then, and then we used to pray and really invite God into schools, and then if we push that out of the way, then that sets us on a, a decline, and we don't know where that is going to end. A lot of bad news. Amen. Let's go home, right? That's bad news. I mean, and this is kind of the same situation that Habakkuk is in. He's looking at everything, and his eyes are growing more and more and more and more and more dim, but yet he's wrestling with these things and calling out to God. And I said last week that it's okay to question God because when you question God, it basically is saying that there's a problem for discussion. That it's okay to question God, but be careful not to accuse God. Because when you accuse God, you're implying that he's guilty of something. And then all of a sudden, when you accuse God of something, then we're saying that we're God. And that our ways are right. And then that we use a little football vernacular. We stiff arm God and say, what are you doing? And we keep God away when we need to invite God in. Now... This, the second uh, complaint that Habakkuk has, and this is kind of how the NIV kind of categorizes this section of writings, the second complaint kind of wrestles with the idea of injustice. Now, we have all gone through injustice of different types. I'll tell you, um, here's one injustice that happened with me growing up. I may have told you this story, but many of you either, um, you weren't listening that day, or that you weren't here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But there was this, Growing up, that I remember specifically, there there was this this girl that I, I had a thing for, right? Um, I, I just I had this I had this thing for. Her. She had blonde hair, and I was like I don't know fourth or fifth grade, and 
she was like the cat's meow, right? This is like, I know that's weird, right? That, so, and, and I, this girl, and I remember that I, I kind of like pursued her slash stalked her for a while, this, this little girl, and it was, and I just couldn't get it. I couldn't close the gap to, to getting her to see that I liked her. And as a matter of fact, she just kind of probably thought I was a creeper and kept going away. And I remember all of a sudden I, 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 I got her phone number and I thought, man, this is, woo, this is, this is all coming to a head. This is going to work out. And then I talked to her and, 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 and I, I, I just kind of asked her if she would go out with me. But I don't even know what that means for like a fourth or fifth grader. And I said, will you go out with me? And her response is timeless, and it's basically my family mocks me because of it. Uh, but her response was, not with you. <laughs> See, that's injustice, but here's, here's how the injustice really happens, <laughs> truthfully. Here's how it really happens. I, I, I had this thing for her, right? But here's the sad part. All of a sudden, I, I, I didn't know what I could offer her to go out with her, probably like... Candy, right? Because candy is like gold for a kid and, and future dental work is all I could pretty much offer. And yet you go through the process and all of a sudden she said, not with you. She didn't want to go out with me. She wanted to go out with my best friend. And then my best friend mistreated her. So isn't that interesting? Like I wasn't going to mistreat her, but yet the, the injustice is not only did she say no, of which it hurt my feelings, but then she picked a guy who basically mistreated her. Don't we see the same thing happen today? Do we have our friends and, and we look at them and they date people that they shouldn't date or they get married to people they shouldn't get married to and you say, I just know that this is going to be bad. And, and, ba- and we sit back and we say, there's got to be some injustice here. God, what's going on in this situation? Many of you have had jobs to where you've just poured your life and you've worked overtime and you've just given your, your employer hour upon hour upon hour and then when it came time for a promotion, that your boss looked right around all of those hours you gave and gave that promotion to someone else. Anyone ever had that happen? Say amen. amen. And that's sad. That's an injustice. Because you don't deserve that. You deserve the promotion. You work for it. If you're a student, it's kind of the same thing with students. It's like you work in, in, in school and you do your schoolwork and you give 110%, and yet that teacher always seems to just neglect you and has like a, a bias against you, and all of a sudden, it's the, the other, you know, the teacher's pet gets all the attention, and you're trying to be the student that you're supposed to be. That's an injustice, and those are injustices that we all go through. Now, I also had another injustice that actually happened this week. I mean, fresh off my life. This is, to me, it's injustice. I, I was at a softball clinic with Gracie, and it's here in town, and I remember going in, and, and I'm looking at my daughter, and of course, she is like the, the future Babe Ruth, Ozzie Smith, Albert Pujols. I know she is. I know she is. And I remember going through and, and kind of sitting in the stands and looking at the people interact with her. And, it's, and there, were, there were two people like instructing in, in this clinic and interacting with her, and yet I could see their demeanor toward her was different than the other kids. And as a dad, I'm wanting to get up out of the stands and say, that is wrong. That is injustice. And if you're a parent, you've probably done that too. One thing I found about God's justice, you may want to write this down. God's justice will never be viewed as just 
if we think about just us. God's justice will never be viewed as just in our eyes if we think about just us. Like for me, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, this is my girl. She's, she's got a future in this. She's got a full ride. I know she's going to go play softball. I mean, this is, you know, parenting stuff, you know. And, and you kind of go through and you build all this up. But yet, you see, for me, I'm so limited and not thinking of, okay, why is she interacting with this student different or this, this player different than my daughter? And it's kind of the same thing with God's justice. It'll never be viewed as just if we think about just us. Hmm. We'll wrestle with God's justice in a couple of minutes because this is exactly the climate that Habakkuk jumps into. As he's asking these questions, there's turmoil in, 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 with this group of people. They had just gone through, they had gone through four kings very, very quickly. This is before the time of Jesus. They had gone through four kings, and anytime you know this, anytime there's a very fast transition of leadership, there's a huge ripple effect, right? And it's the same thing that happens in this situation, and the people have kind of walked away from God. And God has some pretty sharp things to say about it. Starting in verse 12, reading through verse uh, 4 of chapter 2. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he, is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Stop there for a moment. So Habakkuk has just heard from God that the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to basically take over this group of Israelites. He says, there's got to be something going on here that I don't understand. That Habakkuk is wrestling. He says, are you not from everlasting? Aren't Aren't you the God that we've been believing in for centuries? Aren't you God? He said, where are you? This is difficult. This is, a, this is a grand question that he's asking. And he says, my God, my Holy One, O Lord, O Rock. See, he, he's trusting God through the process, but he's, he's wrestling with some complicated issues. And notice in, the, in verses 12 and 13, I'll draw this truth out. Habakkuk questions the choice of action, but not the reason for God's action. Notice that. He knows why God is acting. He knows that his people, he's been the spokesperson of the Lord to this group of people. And as he would, as he would go out and he would minister to these people, they were not hearing it. They were not listening to it. So all of a sudden, he's not, he's not questioning God as far as is the reason for God's action. He's questioning the choice of action. He says, are, are you sure 
You, is this the only way? Do you have to send the Babylonians? I, I just don't get this. These people are, are far away from you, God. They, they, don't, they don't trust you. We trust you. And he leans in a little bit, a little bit closer in verses 14 through 17. He says, You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. He says, you have basically, you ha- he just pouring his heart out, he said, you've basically, you've made us just like the creatures. And yet, those of us who have uh, studied the Old Testament know that, that human beings were created with honor and dignity, created in the glory of God, to honor God and to give God glory in all that we do. And he's saying, have you, have you lessened us as a people? Now we're just like creatures? And it's kind of begging the question, saying, Lord, is this, just, is this just bad medicine? You know, it's kind of like the things you see on, uh, the, the commercials you see on, on TV, to where like they're trying to sell you some medicine and then the side effects are like four times as bad as what it's for, you know? Like try rudeferin for itchy, scratchy, watery eyes and, you know, the side effects there are, are headache, toothache, tooth decay, heart disease, you know, liver disease, uh, ingrown toenails, telemarkers will call you on the hour, you know, and uneven tire wear. You know, where so we sit back and say, well, is, the, is, the, is, the, is, this, is the medicine really fit the illness? That's kind of what he's saying. Are, are you sure? Is this the only way? Does this, is this the way that it has to be? I mean, aren't we your people? And all the while, God's saying, aren't you my people? Kind of like us Christians today, when us Christians don't do what God wants us to. And yet, many times, even Christians, they, they get angry and, and they ask God questions. Say, God, why are you doing this? And then I just know that there's a, a reciprocal to that where he pours down and he says, why are you doing this to me? I, I died for your sin. Why are you doing this to me? Continuing on. So then we see in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I will stand at my watch. This is, this is Habakkuk after hearing um, the complaint and all of these things and how God responds to him. He says, I will stand at my watch. And I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So he says, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but what I'm going to do right here is I'm going to stand firm. He doesn't waver in his trust of God. He says, I'm going to stand firm. I've got my feet planted firmly right here. I'm going to stand. I'm going to wait and see what you're going to do. You've told me what you're going to do. And at this point, I know that you're going to do what you said you're going to do, God, because he trusts God. And yet... If we're honest, we kind of, we wrestle with this ourselves because we sit back and, and we look at, at the bad medicine and we say, okay, it just doesn't seem like that, that basically the, the punishment for the crime, it just, it just doesn't line up, it doesn't fit. And then if, if we're honest and if we're really honest with God and maybe you're, you're still seeking a relationship with God and if that's something that you want to commit to, 
And you would, you would ask an honest question. How can I trust a God who seems so unpredictable? How can I trust a God who, who just seems like, it just seems like I just don't know which way he's going to turn and what is going to happen? And I would say this. God is untamed, but he's also unchanging. He's untamed. He's untamed. He's all-powerful. He is almighty God, but yet the way that he has interacted with people has been the exact same since the beginning of time. It's been the exact same. He's untamed. He is God, and we are not. And yet he is unchanging. He doesn't just... He doesn't just do this and do this, and his nature is consistent. It is the exact same all through the scriptures. God is holy. Somebody say that this morning. God is holy. And God does not like sin. As a matter of fact, he hates sin. He hates sin to a level that he sent Jesus to die for our sin. That much. He hates sin. And God is holy. And God is almighty, and he's powerful. And God is welcoming. He's embracing as a matter of fact, we have a reminder of this because the name Habakkuk literally means embrace. So even in this book, it's, it's the idea of embrace God and how God embraces us. God is untamed and he's unchanging. God, he, he, he doesn't just, everything that he does is consistent with his nature. He is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. God is merciful, but yet there's times, if you read the Bible, God is a God of wrath. That's complicated. That, that in me puts a tension within me. I don't know necessarily where it needs to go. But God is untamed and unchanging. I love what John Eldridge said. John Eldridge said this, The only way that you can trust a God that seems so unpredictable is if you know His heart is good. The only way that you, can, that you can trust a God that seems so unpredictable is if you know that His heart is good. Because if His heart is good, then His, his ways are good. His ways are higher than our ways. We're not going to know exactly what God is doing. Sometimes it's, it's very obvious, and sometimes it is, it is absolutely hidden from us. The only way that we can trust a God like that is if we know that His heart is good. And I have to tell you, His heart is good. If, you, if you've read the Bible, you know this. If, you, if you're a Christian, if you, you actually have a relationship with Jesus, you know that his heart is good because you felt the warmth of his comfort and you felt the, the embrace of his peace. James uh, says it this way, speaking of God. This is from the Message Translation. He says, Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. That's an important thing. Soak in that for a moment. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God. Look at this next part. Nothing two-faced. Nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all His creatures. God is not fickle. I'm fickle at times. He's not two-faced. He doesn't 
talk out of both sides of his mouth. His ways are consistent. He's untamed, but he's also unchanging. God is God, and we are not. He is holy. He has called Christians to holiness. Many of us fall short over and over and over again, which is why he also pours in his grace as that cushion so we don't go too far down and we don't think too highly of ourselves. It's the wonderful place in the middle called grace that we need. Now, verse 2. Here's the Lord's answer. Verse 2 of chapter 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. A time just like this, church. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But here's its contrast. But the righteous, at the end of verse 4, but the righteous will live by his faith. But the righteous will live by his faith. As a matter of fact, but the righteous will live by his faith is a thing that's just, it's an echo in several places in the New Testament that God wants us to know this. The repetition matters. It's just that the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And yet, at the beginning of verse 4, it says, see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. There's a contrast here in the word of God. There's a contrast of two different types of people. There are the people who walk with God and the people who do not walk with God. There's no space between. It's either you walk with God or you do not walk with God. And if you do not walk with God, or if you are walking with God and yet you choose to sometimes do your own thing, there's always conflict and there's always a consequence. There's always a conflict and always a consequence. Proverbs 1 says this. Flip there if you would. The reference will be on the screen. Proverbs 1 starting in verse 29 through 33 says it this way. of Conflict and consequence. So since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and they spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. That's conflict. That's living in a way contrary to the word of God. This is what this is referring to. The simple in, in the Proverbs is talking about somebody who's choosing to live their own way and not God's way. But the beauty comes in verse 33. says, But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. You see, the consequences of sin exist. So we would see and live the experience of verse 33. The consequences of of sin exist to lead us back to God's comfort and peace. When we go through and we choose to live our own way and we we live life in the way that we choose, there is a consequence. That's a conflict. That's living in a way that's contrary to the word of God. 
There's, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be difficulty. And the reason why that difficulty exists is so we would go back to God and we would want to experience His comfort and peace. The consequences of sin in Genesis 3 are devastating. Their marital roles have been smeared because of Genesis 3. There's, there's this constant blaming each other and casting blame upon somebody else and diverting, diverting attention from themselves when they've done things wrong. And, and blame shifting happened at Genesis 3. Work became a four-letter word at Genesis 3. Conflict and consequence. The conflict is sin or temptation. When we, when we fall to that temptation and the consequence is there, and we see this in, in the beginning of uh, verse 29 through 32. They hated knowledge, and they chose not to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my re- rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways. They will be filled with the fruit of their schemes, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. So the reason why that there's a consequence when we, when we fall to temptation or we, when we sin is so that we would go back to God for his comfort and his peace. Now, I'm going to set up a different scenario. I'm going to use something from culture. This is, this is what happens. I'm going to pick on Christians, okay? Is it cool if I do? Sure it is. I'm going to anyway. Christians, we we live with this idea, and I talk about conflict and consequence. Many people in our culture, right here in middle Georgia, we think, I'm saved by grace through faith, everything's good, I I am going to heaven, now I can do whatever I want to do because I am sealed with the blood, right? I tried to make it a little bit more dramatic than that, but that's all I have. And yet... That's, that's kind of what we think. And wow, we're in the South and this is the Bible Belt and everybody's a Christian in the South, which is not true. And, you know, we all go to church and if I've always gone to church, then I've always been a Christian, which is not true. And yet, we almost, we get to the idea where we think, well, we're Christians, so now if I just, I can live however I want to live and I'm good with God and He's good with me because I asked him to save me when I was nine and I've been just living the rest of my life. See, the interesting thing about that is we kind of live, uh, sometimes Christians live their life with this, the untouchables. Seen the movie, The Untouchables? We, we kind of live with the, uh, uh, an idea of we're the untouchables. That we're good. We're okay. God saved me. I'm sealed. Everything's good. I'm untouchable. I can do whatever I want to do. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Because if you have accepted Jesus Christ in a personal way, that means that you bow your knee to Him and say, God, not my will, your will. We're not untouchable. Because the conflict and the consequence of even a Christian sin are still there. Because even Christians, a non-Christian is going to love to hear this, even a Christian feels the weight of mistakes they've made. And God's ideal is so that we would feel His comfort and His peace at all times. And we live in a world where we have misconceptions and we have regrets. 
Christians have this, the untouchables. I mean, some Christians, not all. But some Christians, we think, well, we're good. I can, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to do this. And God, look at all. I, I, I wrote a check. I wrote a check, God. No, I, I'm here. It's Sunday. I showed up today. One out of four ain't bad. I'm here. And we think that we're doing God a favor. God is holy. God is the God of love, and God is also the God of justice. God wants the best of you. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your will to be submitted to His will. That's what He wants. Now here's another thing with that. Some of us live with this with this kind of idea. Who's ever heard of the song My Life by Billy Joel? Raise your hand. I'm not setting you up like I did last week, I promise, all right? I'm not. Some, some people, and I would say even, maybe even some Christians kind of have a little bit of this, but even people who aren't walking with Jesus, they kind of have this kind of mentality. You'll know this. Sing along if you want. I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. I don't care what you say anymore. This is... You can do better than that. My life, right? Go ahead with your own life and leave me alone. See, our culture, as it goes farther and farther and farther away from God, that's basically what they're saying. They're letting that song kind of be the... The, the motto of their life and say, you know what, this is my life. Go ahead with your own life and just leave me alone. I would say, Christian, if you're allowing that mindset to kind of sink into you, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to turn back from that because God wants the best for you and he wants the best of you. Don't live with this mentality of just this misconception because it will be met with regret. Because God, He wants you to submit your will to His will. And He's not okay with you, with you just living your life however you want to live it. And if somebody's not walking with Jesus, you may say, you know what? That's my life, so what? I just, want, I just want to just clear the air. Our hope for you as a church and me as a person is that you w- would meet the, the radical saving grace of Lord Jesus. That's my hope for you. Everybody who would hear this message, that's my hope for you. Is that you would submit your will to God and you would say, Lord Jesus, I know that I have, I don't, I don't know all of what sin means, but I know that I have sinned. I know that I've fallen tempta- into temptation and I know that I've fallen short of your perfect standard. But yet I I receive you, Lord Jesus. I've heard that you died on the cross, and I believe that you died on the cross, and I believe that you resurrected on the third day. And I want what other Christians have. You see, that's what we want as a church for somebody who's not walking with Jesus. You can't become a Christian by attending church. Much like you can't become a car by going to your garage. Try it when you go home. And bring a camera just in case. You can't. And yet, it takes a choice. You don't become a Christian through a process of, well, my family went to church for 10 years, and if I were to ask you, 
If I were to ask you, if, uh, are you a Christian? And your answer would be, yes, I grew up in church. That doesn't mean you're a Christian. That means you spend a lot of time in church listening to people like me. That's what that means. For you to become a Christian, it takes a choice. It takes a work of God in your life and for you to submit your will to his will and saying, I can't live my life the way that I've always lived it. I'm going to choose to live it your way. And you can only do that through Jesus Christ. At the end of verse 4 of chapter 2, I mentioned this just a minute ago. It says, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. We're going to talk more about faith next week. It's pretty much the main theme of, of this whole book of Habakkuk. We'll talk in, in greater detail next week. But I just want to kind of bring everything together with this, this idea of faith and reasons. The righteous will live by faith. Christians will live by faith. That faith and reason, the reason, <laughs> wow, tongue-tied. The, the reason why it says faith and reasons is this. Look at, the, look at the stage, if you would. On my right, your left, you see scales. The, the reason why the scale is there is to basically to portray God's justice. If our if we only look at the events of the book of Habakkuk or even in our day, in our time, and the decisions that we've made and even the decisions that we're making as a country, if we just look at it just in light of God's justice, we would think that God is way too harsh, wouldn't we? If we just look at God's, I mean, just, just independently look at God's justice, we would say, God is so harsh, I don't get God. And yet, if you look in the middle, you see a heart, which is to show God's love. Now, if we, just, if we just think of God's love, and I realize that 1 John says that God is love, and He's also the God of wrath, and He's the God of mercy, and all those, God of holiness, all those things I told you a little while ago. But if we just look at God in light of His love, and that's all, we won't have a good perspective of our sin. We won't. We won't. We'll just, we think, well, God is the God of love. Then we won't have an understanding of how damaging our sin is. My sin. Not just our and just, just you know, uh, broadening the scope, but, but my sin. And yet the beauty of the gospel and what happened on the cross and what you see on my left and your right as you see, that's where God's love and God's justice met. That's where they met. Because God's justice says there's got to be a penalty for sin. There has to be. That is the way. And yet, the balance of that is God says, you know what? I'm the God of justice, but I'm also the God of love. And because there has to be a, a punishment for that sin, the Lord Jesus says, I'm going to take that upon the cross because I love you. And all he wants for us is to receive his love. See, the reason why Christians can have faith is because they've received that love. 
And the reason why Christians are called in Habakkuk 2.4 that the righteous will live by faith is because we've experienced that love. If you've never experienced that love, that depth, what happened, the rescue that happened on the cross, I just want you to know that the invitation is wide open to you. It's wide open. You can't attend church enough to receive Jesus. You can't. It comes down to a choice. And I don't know if you've made that choice or not. Only you do. Now, one thing I will say, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a little bit. But I, I want you to know this. If you have never received Jesus, there's no better time than today. And only you know if you've received Jesus or not. You can't attend church long enough to receive him. You can't sing a song to receive him. You have to make a choice to receive him. 